The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Does your shirt say, I still own you? It most definitely does. <clears throat> yep. You definitely don't want people coming into your stadium and trying to like disrespect uh, things that, that you've kind of built. Um, and so for us, um, this gave us a little bit more, a little bit more motivation to go out there and, and win against a really good football team. Seems like every other week Tom Brady is achieving some other milestone. This week he, he can't keep up with. Him. I don't think there'll be any records left when he's done. Sacrifice his body to get that first down. I mean, he took a hit. Yeah, that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> But we all know everybody's against us, and it's going to be hard and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's what that's what builds character. I don't see finger point. I don't see yelling at each other. I don't see fist fights on the sideline like I've heard about. I don't see any of that. Uh, but I see uh, frustration. Amazing, hard-fought win last night. Proud of all the guys, man. It's a huge game. They're never easy in the NFL, so it's great to get a dub. 10-3, we got a championship week coming up. Let's go. It's a Monday edition of PFTPM Week 14. You know, as we were playing that, and Urban Meyer was saying, I don't see any finger-pointing or yelling or fighting on the sideline because it's all happening behind his back. Shereen, we're going to talk more about that coming up. They're not mad at each other. They're mad at you, Coach. Hopefully, Shereen isn't mad at me. She does get mad at me from time to time, but she gets over it. She doesn't live close enough to my house to come over and whack me over the head with a rolled-up <laughs> newspaper. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? Or egg it or paper, toilet paper, TP it or any of those things, Mike. Yeah, live a little, little far from you. If there is karma, I am due for an egging and or a TPing or multiple <laughs> of the same. If there is karma. So far in my adult life, no karma. Because the eggs that I've thrown, the rolls of TP that I'd hurled as a child have not come back to get me. But you know why? You know why? When we were kids, there wasn't anything else to do. The, the oh, idle. That's what's it. The, the, what's the what's the phrase about idle and idle devil's hands. playground and whatever? Yeah, I, you didn't have anything to do. You had three channels, so you went out and did things yeah. you shouldn't do. Now we'd be sitting around playing video games all the time. The video games are great. They keep kids out of trouble. Absolutely, and I I didn't never threw eggs at anybody's house, but I have to admit I TP'd a few houses back in my day. I assume that all appropriate statutes of limitation have expired, but Let's nevertheless, hope. I will invoke my Fifth Amendment right <laughs> to avoid self-incrimination uh. when it comes to any express or implied admissions that I threw an egg or two or more at any homes or other structures. All right, let's get to it. It's COVID Monday, and every Monday is COVID Monday. There's nothing funny about it. So I don't know why I have kind of a half smile mm-hmm. on my face, but this is part of what we deal with now in year two of the pandemic. Every Monday, teams begin testing their vaccinated players. If you're unvaccinated, you're tested every day. So they're testing Monday, too. But it's the vaccinated. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, thereabouts. That's when we find out who's positive, and more accurately, 
who played positive yesterday and who possibly had been positive since the day after or the minute after they last had their negative test a week ago. 37, 37 total player positive COVID tests today in the National Football League, Shireen. It shows you it's not going anywhere. It shows you it's not dissipating, and it shows you that the NFL continues to be very vigilant about it, even though it's a battle at times. At times, feels like we're losing. Well, and it also shows you, Mike, that it's still going to affect games. I mean, you look at tonight's games, legitimately, this could affect the, the Cardinals-Rams game. Jalen Ramsey and Tyler Higby tested positive today. You look at all the players from that Rams team who are on the COVID list, and they're down players. You look at the Lions yesterday because of COVID and flu and everything else going around their building. This is not going away, and the teams that handle this the best – the rest of the way are going to be the teams that we're going to see probably have a better chance to win in the postseason. It's key time. And now we're coming up on Christmas. Hey, we had Thanksgiving. Everybody gathered. We had Halloween. We had a little uptick. And then now we're having an uptick after Thanksgiving. Guess what? Christmas is coming. People are going to gather. We're going to have an uptick after Christmas, too. And that's really when it comes into play, Mike, when we start the postseason run right after Christmas. And this gets back to something we discussed as it relates to Amari Cooper. And he eventually, after we had raised the point, he himself asked, why can't I play while I'm COVID positive? Why can't I play while I'm sick? People play when they have the flu, although he he incorrectly cited the Michael Jordan flu game, as we learned in the last dance. It was food poisoning, although some think he was hung over. Officially, it's food poisoning that derailed Michael Jordan, but didn't because he came back and had that great game in the, what, 97, 97, 98, 90-something championship. Had to be 90-something. They were all in the 90s. Anyway, at some point, at some point, not this year, at some point in the life of this pandemic, which is becoming endemic to the population, there will be, I believe, a procedure by the NFL that allows players to play and that maybe treats them in a way that they're completely separate from other players inside the building, but out in the open, I, I think that it's going to happen. And someone explained to me a few weeks ago the therapeutic treatment, not the vaccinations, but the stuff you can take and will be taking if you have it is going to become so effective that it can be neutralized quickly and it won't be an issue where we have these random lightning strikes and we had 37 lightning strikes today that result in players not playing. And as Shereen mentioned, it can affect games. I mean, tonight, out of the blue, Jalen Ramsey, Rams corner, out on the COVID list. Tyler Higby, Rams tight end, out on the COVID list. And in an age of widespread gambling, if you've already put money on the yeah. games, I guess the lesson is, Shereen, wait until the last minute to put the money on the games. Unless you have some inside information as to who's tested positive for COVID, wait till the last minute because up until the last minute, a key player could be gone like that. Well, and especially, Mike, if you have a team that's in the enhanced protocols, because then at that point they have to test every day, and, and you don't know who's going to test positive the day of the game, uh, even if they're vaccinated. So, yeah, I guess that is the key. And, and I think you're right. At some point we just kind of, I don't want to say move on from it, but guys play with covid uh, if, if they're asymptomatic, and I think that's the key. And Amari talked about that, but then he came back, Mike, and he wasn't breathing right and all that sort of stuff. So it took him a while to recover from that. So I don't know how he could have played with COVID just from the simple fact that when he finally came back, 
He wasn't. He didn't look right. Now he had, he had a big game. He had a couple big catches. I get that, but he wasn't able to play an entire game with COVID. Just the breathing and all that had been affected by it. So I think that's a key thing too. Are you asymptomatic? Can you breathe? Can you get out there and do what you need to do over the course of a game? And we all know the NFL said it repeatedly. They have no evidence that it can be transmitted during a game, and I think that's key. Yeah, they believe that from day one, that there isn't enough of a confinement in the spaces, even in the Dome Stadium, for the droplets, for sufficient droplets, a high enough concentration to make it from one person to the next. The Ramsey and Higby development caused the line to move from two and a half, that's Cardinals minus two and a half, Rams plus two and a half, to three as soon as that news broke. So, hey, two and a half, that half point, that half point can, can make a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, yesterday... The Browns looked like they were easily covering. They won by two. The line was two and a half, so that half point can be huge. Dolphins, bye week. Apparently, they weren't as careful as they needed to be on the bye. All three Miami running backs have COVID. Philip Lindsay, Miles Gaskin, and Salvan Ahmed. So, uh, now, again, we saw it with T.J. Watt a couple of weeks ago where he landed on the COVID reserve list on Monday and was able to come back on Saturday, but that usually doesn't happen. Much of it depends upon when they had it, when they got it, how long they've been positive. Maybe they're moving toward the back end of it. But for now, you got three guys, all the running backs, so it's going to be next man up, next man up, next man up for Miami against the Jets. And this is a team that, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That's how the bye week works, but they're very much in the thick of things in the AFC playoff field at 6-7. and seven. And uh, just another, another vague, unexpected, out of the blue trio of lightning strikes here. The good news for the Dolphins, they have some time to adjust to it, unlike the Rams who find out just a couple hours before kickoff they're not going to have one of their best players. Boy, and that hurts, Mike, because they were already down a corner. They already had Daryl Henderson and a couple other guys on there, and now they have Darius Williams and, and David Long to, to stop that car, those Cardinals receivers, who we know are very, very good. They need Jalen Ramsey. They need their best corners out there, and they need more than two corners. It's going to take a lot of corners to, to stop that Cardinals passing game. This hurts. This hurts a lot for the Rams. And like you said, there's just no time to adjust. I mean, it's like, all right, get out there and play. We may have to make some adjustments with our scheme and and things that we're asking you to do. But they're calling up guys from the practice squad who are going to play tonight. The uh, Washington football team has four players on the COVID reserve list, including Jonathan Allen. Again, this is the Monday ritual. And uh, it's, it's just it's a strange protocol. It's a strange procedure. And I think that yeah. this is another reason why they need to really work on next year's procedure to come up with a way to let guys who may be positive play if they are asymptomatic. Because Allen presumably had it yesterday and was playing, was shedding virus around teammates in the locker room, on the field, on the bus. It was a home game, so it's not like they had to fly. But and I don't even know if they take a bus. But regardless, they, the, the point is – you're around other people a day before you test positive. It's an imperfect system, and uh, they really need to work on it, and they really need to come up with a way to allow guys to play if they have no symptoms, no fever. no. I mean, they can, they can run them through a mini gauntlet of test, Shireen, and say, yeah, even though this guy's positive, yeah. he can still play. I think that's the next step in the evolution of this because the one thing that we're learning is it's not going anywhere. 
No, it, it's not. And we've seen that repeatedly and the numbers are going up. September and October, they weren't very high. And then after Halloween, they start and whether that played a part or not, it, I don't know. But the numbers went up after Halloween into November and now they're way up in December. And perhaps it's with the weather change too, Mike, more people indoors around other people. And, and frankly, we've all kind of gotten, you know, when you go out and do you always wear your mask? Do you always do the right things? And maybe not. So kids coming home from school, all those sorts of things. So there's a lot of ways that you can get COVID. And then once it gets in that building, it spreads around, as we've seen with the Lions and now with the Rams and with some other teams. And now we finally, after about 15 minutes, can migrate from COVID to injuries that were inflicted in the more traditional way on Mm. the football field. And it was Lamar Jackson leaving yesterday in the Ravens' loss to the Cleveland Browns. Credit to Tyler Huntley and the Browns. They showed resilience. They made it interesting. Mm. They almost came back, forced overtime, could have won the game. But Lamar Jackson does indeed have an ankle, ankle injury. It's not a high ankle sprain, according to Coach John Harbaugh. And they are planning on Lamar playing this week against the Green Bay Packers. There he is out of the pocket. The dive by Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa at the legs hits the ankles. Not an illegal hit because he's out of the pocket. You forfeit the protection against the low hits. Got the right ankle. Was in a walking boot after the game, but they expect him to play this weekend against Green Bay. Will it affect his mobility? I don't know. I'm sure they don't know. But Lamar Jackson, the 2019 MVP, gives the Ravens much greater uh, chance of winning in a game that they're going to need after losing on Sunday, and they've now lost two in a row, and things are getting a little bit tenuous for the Baltimore Ravens, and they don't have an easy stretch run, Shereen. Isn't it amazing, Mike, that as much as Lamar Jackson runs and as good of a runner as he is, he's never missed a game for injury. Now, he's missed it for illness. We know that. Uh, He he sat out the 2019 season finale, regular season finale, when they'd already clinched everything and didn't need him to play in that game. But just for pure injury, he hasn't missed a game for injury. So this will be the first time he's going to try to – play through something like an ankle that surely will affect his mobility, you would think. Uh, and as you said, they probably don't know yet just how much that's going to affect him. But what he's good at is running around. But he's in a huge slump now, Mike. For, for whatever reason, these last four games, he hasn't been good. Three touchdowns, six interceptions, 14 sacks, 167 rushing yards, and no touchdowns. He, biggest slump of his career. We don't expect that out of Lamar Jackson, and now he's got to deal with an ankle injury on top of that. And his contract situation unresolved primarily because he doesn't have an agent and he doesn't have the time or he isn't putting in the time or the focus to try to engage with the Ravens. The Ravens would like to get him signed to a new contract. The more he plays under his rookie deal, the more of the injury risk he carries, and we saw that injury risk bite him on Sunday. All the more reason to get a deal done. And I'm telling and I've said this time and again, I said it to the point where I'm numb to it and none of it is going to matter because he's not going to listen to anybody when it comes to this. He needs mm-hmm. to hire an agent. Whatever percentage points you give the agent, you're going to make far more than that on the 97% that you keep, the 98% you keep, whatever percent you negotiate with an agent. And there are plenty who will do it for 1%, especially deal of the magnitude that Lamar Jackson is going to do. But that 98, 99% that an agent is going to get for you is a hell of a lot more than the 100 you're going to get for yourself, especially if you get yourself injured before you ever get that long-term deal. So they need to get that done. And it's amazing to me that no one can talk sense into Lamar Jackson to do what 
needs to be done to protect him against injury. But he's probably still in that mindset, that younger guy, and I was the same way. You think you're going to be able to do these things forever. You think you're impervious to it. Oh, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I don't know. Maybe yesterday's scare is the kind of thing that gets him to finally get it done. Josh Allen has his contract. He has a foot sprain and his day-to-day. I've heard it characterized as a minor case of turf toe. Now we see foot sprain. Sean McDermott, the coach of the Buffalo Bills, said day-to-day earlier today. And they need Josh Allen to play like he did yesterday and to be able to play like he did yesterday. You know, Shereen, they unleashed him like they haven't in a regular season game in a long time because they needed that one. And it would have been nice if they would have used their running backs in the first half. They apparently have little faith in them, but they have a ton of faith in Josh (laughs) Allen. And he almost pulled it off yesterday. And they're not going to go very far if he's not able to play like he did yesterday. Yeah, and Mike, I sat on this show last week when we were talking about the Monday night game, and we knew it was going to be windy and perhaps snowy going into that game, and I said, oh, I expect Josh Allen to run and run a lot. How he played yesterday is what I expected in that Monday night game, and frankly, if they had played him in that Monday night game or if he had played like that in that Monday night game, and that, by that I mean using his legs as much as he did, 12 carries, three of which came after he hurt his toe or his foot or whatever the injury is, three of those came after that. But if they had used him like that in the New England game, they might have pulled that game out as well as he played yesterday. Over 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing, fourth player ever to do that. He was outstanding yesterday, but he didn't play like that last Monday night, and they thus they didn't have a chance to win that game against New England last Monday night. Well, their playoff chances have dropped, according to the numbers from Steve Kornacki last yeah. night, to 66% to get in, 22% to win the division. The division's going to be very difficult to do, but they, they – could slash should be able to go 3-1 and one down the stretch when you look at their upcoming opponents. They're not all easy. They do have a Jets game coming up, so there's a W. But they should be able to get two or three there. You see them at 7-6. and six. Very good for the Colts to slide into the sixth position without even playing a game yesterday. But, you know, those teams in the hunt are going to have a challenge if the Colts and the Bills can finish strong. But each of those teams play the Patriots once, so... Could be a seventh loss looming for the Colts on Saturday and then the Bills next Sunday, the day after Christmas. All right, uh, let's see what else we have here. The Carolina Panthers, they're going to play both, both Cam Newton and P.J. Walker. Now, yesterday the explanation was for using P.J. Walker that Cam Newton doesn't know the two-minute offense as well as P.J. Walker, and that kind of blew me away, assuming it's the truth. There's a chance it's not the truth. If it is the truth... What the hell were they doing during their bye? Uh, Aren't you going to know the two-minute offense infinitely better when you've had two weeks to prepare for your next game since your last game, that debacle against the Dolphins? Shouldn't there have been an all-out effort to get Cam Newton better acquainted with the most important plays and the most important settings of a game? Now, it could be that they spun their wheels for the first week figuring out what to do with Joe Brady. Dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. But I don't think it's functional to, at this point of the season, be relying upon two quarterbacks, Shereen? No, 
about? You have two quarterbacks. And in Carolina's case, I would say they have three quarterbacks, counting Sam Darnold, so they have no quarterback. And we know all know they wanted Deshaun Watson this year. They'll go out and find yet another quarterback third year in a row. They'll go out and get somebody. But, you know, there's tons of questions uh, about Cam Newton and, and about this team. I think the first thing you did, is Cam Newton done? I mean, does he get another chance after this season? We all know that he doesn't want to go in a situation where he's a backup. Well, I'm not sure he's going to get a starting job after the last two seasons, the way he's played and his shoulder injuries before that. And then I think the next question you asked about the Panthers organization is Matt Rule done uh, in Carolina. And what do they do with him? What do they do at the quarterback position after the season? This, to me, is a, is a team uh, and a quarterback with a ton of questions after this year. I think that Rule right now, and I don't know this, this is just an educated guess, a semi-educated guess, not to be confused with my usual uneducated guess that Rule <laughs> is going to be done because I get the impression that owner David yeah. Tepper, and I said this earlier down Rich Eisen show, he's not going to rest until his coach is Vince Lombardi, yep. his GM is George Young, and his quarterback is Tom Brady. M- maybe literally Tom Brady, who knows. But he wants that yeah. triumvirate. He wants those three positions to be manned by highest possible caliber and quality that he can find. He said that in the backseat of an SUV on the All or Nothing program a couple of years ago on Amazon, and it struck me then, and it sticks with me now. He said basically the league is set up to be 8-8, eight and eight, and you bend it in your direction by having a great coach, a great GM, and a great quarterback. And once he decides that you're not on the right side of great, he's done. Teddy Bridgewater, one year, not great done Sam Darnold half a year not great done and it could be that Matt Rule two years not great done whatever the cost whatever the buyout don't care I'm not going to trouble myself with it there's plenty more where that came from I'm going to spend some of this money to get rid of a guy that I don't think is great and to go try to hire a guy who I believe is great and will be great and if he is great great and if he's not we'll get rid of him and go get another one yeah, isn't it amazing, Mike, with these billionaires just throwing money around to, to try to figure it out? And the more they try, as we're going to talk about Shad Khan later, the more they try, the, the worse it seems to, to work. I mean, you've got to hire a GM and trust your GM to hire the right coach, to find the right quarterback. And it hasn't worked out in Carolina since 2015 when they had Ron Rivera as coach. They had Cam Newton having an MVP season, went 15-1 that year, went to the Super Bowl and got killed in the Super Bowl. And since then, I mean, they've been hunting for, for that to take that next step, and it just hasn't happened. And now here they are and probably going to change coaches after this year. We pretty much know for a fact they're going to change quarterbacks after this season. They're going to try to probably find a veteran quarterback that they can bring in here. So it's just one change after another, and it just takes time after that. So I don't see this franchise turning things around real quickly. And I'm the one that said I didn't trust Sam Darnold and didn't think they were going to the playoffs this year, and they trusted Sam Darnold, and they're not going to the playoffs this year, Mike. And now they're going to start over yet again after this year. For our own selfish purposes, I hope we're both right from the draft, that ill-advised, misguided draft we did back in late August, teams that have no chance to make it to the playoffs. If I suggest that next year, I do want you to come here and egg my house. I do want you to come here and whack me with a rolled-up newspaper. (laughs) We should not do that Uh again because I got enough to worry about than that extra little bit of stress that a team that I said has no chance of making the playoffs in August is going to make the playoffs. So you're in the clear, I think, with the Panthers. I still got to sweat out the Bengals. And I'm torn because I love Joe Burrow. 
and I like I what like they're the doing. Babies. Yeah. And I, li- I I think it's great. But you know, there was a little part of me that wasn't all that upset yesterday when they lost in overtime because uh, <laughs> right now, uh, right now they're 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 in the hunt, and hopefully they will fall out of the hunt just for my own selfish purposes, so that I don't have to endure. Uh, just another basis. I mean, there's always going to be something when you're active on social media yeah. in this business that people are going to have. But I'd just like to have one less if I could. I'm being selfish. I'm sorry, Bengals fans, but I'm just being selfish. Because the thing is, it's those same Bengals fans that won't let me hear the end of it if they make the playoffs. Yeah, and I right. say back in August, they have no chance. All right, let's take a break. Monday morning or afternoon. Is it still Monday morning somewhere? Maybe it is. Either way, it's Monday afternoon quarterback here on PFTPM, and we continue right after this. In Hawaii, aloha. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We did enough to win the game. Um... So that's, you know, check that box off. But um, got conservative. I think we need to, you know, put that team away. You know, we got ahead early. Um, Just need to capitalize when the defense is fine like that and holding them to points. And we need to, you know, put it away. Uh, That's what good teams do. So we need to improve on that. But we were better in the red zone today and on third down. That's something that um, obviously I've talked to you guys about. So um, we just need to play better in those situations to put the game away. This isn't fantasy football. Never has been uh, from my perspective. And, you know, yeah, I, I would I would have liked the game to have been more, you know, open in the second half. But, you know, at the end of the day, things happen. It's the ultimate team sport. It's 11 on 11. A lot of moving parts. They played with two different quarterbacks. You know, we had some things going on with our, you know, our running back situation, too. So, I mean, that's, that's why it's a great team win. Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach before that, Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback. Questions about whether or not. Either or both teams got too conservative after building leads. It was the weekend of blown leads, or at least almost blown leads, for pretty much everyone except the Kansas City Chiefs, who got on top of the Raiders early and never let up en route to a 48-9. First time ever a game finished in the score of 48-9 in the NFL. Victory over Las Vegas. Let's start with the Browns. And between Baker Mayfield telling Kurt Warner of NFL Network in an interview that debuted yesterday, that there are a lot of internal issues that are contributing to his stress this season. And then, and by the way, Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland Plain Dealer did a nice job of trying to identify the various stressors from the disconnect with Kevin Stefanski as a play caller, all the way down to the Browns' in-house radio show criticizing Baker Mayfield and him not liking it. Look, I mean, they all are on the same payroll. They're all supposedly on the same team. I can understand why he wouldn't like that. But then he comes out and says the offense is too conservative. Kevin Stefanski tried to address it today. There's clearly an issue there, Shereen, in the background of all of it, Baker's unsettled contract status. This just does not have a good feel right now. Even though they won yesterday, it feels like it's very fragile, very tenuous, and not sustainable beyond next season if it even makes it to next season. Well, and his frustration started long ago, Mike, that November 21st game against the Lions when they actually won the game, but you saw him not participate in any of the post-game stuff. He went on into the locker room and 
then avoided the media, which is required after the game, all those things. And, and it just continued since that game. Even after wins, there just seems to be a frustration with him. And whether it's Stefanski or whether it's the dads of prominent players criticizing him, Kareem Hunt and, and Odell Beckham before, whatever it is, uh, there just doesn't seems to be a, like a disconnect and frustration with him, with Stefanski and all of that. So they're going to have to figure it out. They're going to have to figure out if this is a long-term thing for them or is it time for them just to let him go and not sign him to the long-term deal. Does he want to go? Does he want to stay in Cleveland and play? It's really hard once you think you found your franchise quarterback to say goodbye to what potentially is a franchise quarterback. But at some point, they've got to figure this thing out if they're going to sign him to a long-term deal because it last two years have not been good for this franchise for for him personally for how he's playing. Now, they got to the playoffs last year. I realize that. They won a playoff game. They took a step. But the two years they really had expectations, 2019 and this year, they haven't gotten it done. I'm not ready to call him a franchise quarterback. Look, there's a lot of great quarterbacks currently in the NFL, and I will not say, well, that guy's a top 10 or that guy's a top half until I sit down and rank all of them at any given moment. It's subject to change all the time. But I probably would not have him in the top half, and he may not even make it into the top 20 right now if I were listing all of them. That's how many good quarterbacks there are. And, you know, I, I argued loudly a couple of years ago that the Rams should not have paid Jared Goff. They should have let him go or offered him far less. And that's what the Browns have to ask themselves. Do we offer him a contract at all? Do we offer him a second-tier level of contract, or do we just move on? And the Browns are so analytics-driven, Shireen. If anybody's going to say, sorry, we're going to move on, it's got to be them. And, And, you know, we don't know how big of a pain in the ass he is in the locker room. We don't know how how much worse he is when the microphones aren't on. There's a chance he is too much for them to deal with. There's a chance that a lot of it's just his personality and they've had enough of it. And the fatigue factor could cause them to say we're moving on. We just don't know. But we do know this. They had no points in the second half yesterday and the Ravens almost came back and won the game. As to the Cowboys, and Shereen, I I assume you've watched this game a lot more closely than I did because I was trying to pay attention to seven at once. And I'm I'm assuming that this was a game that you were following closely yesterday. It felt to me like the Cowboys just kind of rolled up a lot of points through happenstance. It's not like they came out and dominated early at the line of scrimmage. And offensively, they got some short fields. They had a fumble return for a touchdown. And before you know it, it's 18 nothing. Add a couple of field goals, it's 24 nothing. But I didn't get the impression it was an ass-kicking by the Cowboys to get to 24 nothing. It was just some of that right place, right time stuff. You roll up some points and then you hold on. Am I wrong in what I what I vaguely recall emanating through one of the nine screens that we had up yesterday? Well, I think if you look at Washington's offensive stats in the first half, it was a butt kicking by the Cowboys defense to Washington's offense. There's no question about that. But it was the defense that spurred the whole thing. This offense just has not looked the same since that New England game. The last play when Dak Prescott hurt that calf. If it's a calf, who knows, whatever it, it, it's been. But since that game, the Cowboys have not been the same offense. Now, we go back to Vic Fangio saying, hey, the teams just weren't playing them right. Okay, so have team, did the Broncos show a blueprint how to stop them? 
Is it Dak just not playing well? Is it Ezekiel Elliott, who for the fifth consecutive game had fewer than 50 yards rushing and fewer than 4.0 yards per carry? Is it his knee injury? Is it not having Tony Pollard yesterday? I don't know. The Cowboys are going to figure out all those things and figure out offensively what they were doing. We talked a lot about the Chiefs. Can the Chiefs defense carry them? You saw their offense come to life. They still have a really good defense. The Cowboys have to have their offense come to life. I don't see this team doing what they think they're capable of doing unless Dak Prescott and this offense plays better than what they've played since that New England game when, frankly, they were very, very good. And and after that game, I think we all thought, hey, this is a team that can go win the Super Bowl. We're not saying that now. I like how you explained that because it really was the Dallas defense that that kept the Washington offense from doing anything, and then the Washington offense woke up. But the Dallas offense was not yeah. dominant all day long, and they do need to have yeah. a little bit more. They're fortunate they have a defense with Micah Parsons, Randy Gregory, and Demarcus Lawrence together yesterday. They're fortunate that yeah. they are able to create the havoc they did. If they can put both sides together, they're unstoppable. But something's up with the offense. I saw earlier today Mike McCarthy said Dak Prescott isn't injured. He isn't in a slump. Well, he's not playing like he was earlier this year, back yeah. before he injured that calf muscle in the first place. All right, the Bengals, they were down 20-6. to They tied it up with a minute 19 to play, and, of course, the 49ers drove down, had a field goal opportunity. It was missed by Robbie Gould, and then the Bengals petered out, got a field goal in overtime on the first drive. The 49ers answered with a touchdown and won the game. Should the Bengals, when they got the touchdown that made it 20-19, to should they have gone for two with 119 to play or stuck with one. It's easy to say they should have gone for two, Shereen, yeah. but they're at home. You know, they've got the momentum. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I think they should have gone for two when they scored the last touchdown. I'm a firm believer in the if you're down 14, anytime after the middle of the third quarter and you score a touchdown, go for two then because if you get it, seven wins it. And if you don't, you get another chance to go for two to force the tie. Yeah, I'm with you completely, Mike, and we agree with analytics and the use of analytics. But I have just what you said. I said home game and momentum right here, and that was my thought. You're at home. You have the momentum. So to me, I think they did the right thing. And, and frankly, they got the ball first in overtime, so they had a chance to go down and win the game. I don't think they lost that game by not going for two there. It's a 50-50 shot to make it. Are you going to make it? You're not going to make it. And the 49ers still drove back down and would have had a chance to win the game at the end of regulation. Now they missed the field goal, but perhaps they would have tried to get it closer or something else if the game was actually on the line as opposed to, hey, we can win the game here. If not, we go to overtime. Who knows how that plays out if that's the case, that they need the field goal to win the game. But I wouldn't have. I would have played it exactly as Zach Taylor played it. Uh, it's easy to look back now and say, as it turned out, yeah, they should have. But I have no problems with what he decided to do. Two factors in all of this. One, the amount of time left when you go for the win versus the tie. Because there were still 79 seconds left in the game. And you got to think of it from the mindset that you put the other team in. If it's a tie, they've got a different approach. Now, even though they did get in position for the potential game-winning field goal, you have a different level of aggression. You have a different – for example, if you hit fourth Urgency. and two on your own 28, you're less likely to go for it. You're definitely going to go for it if you're down a point. Maybe you'll punt it if it's a tie game. You have a different mentality if you are behind on that final drive. So, like the Ravens-Steelers last week, end of the game, 
this is it, up or down, win or lose, we're going for it. You don't have to worry about the Steelers getting the ball back in regulation. So that's a factor, and I think I support not going for two then. And the other thing, and we had a fairly robust debate on the PFT text chain earlier today, this is what gets lost in the numbers that get thrown around by analytics. And we've got some folks who are firm believers in the idea that it's about a 93% proposition to make your extra point. It's about a 51% proposition to make your two-pointer. So why don't teams go for two more often? Here's why they don't. Because you have to have, and we, we saw this last week, when Mike Zimmer bemoaned the fact that he didn't like the selections yep. they had when they went for two running the ball into the line of scrimmage. Well, first of all, you're the head coach. You're supposed to be the one who knows, you know, what your two-point options are for that day. But you have to feel good about your two-point plays. Your two-point offense against their two-point defense, how many do you have? How many do you feel good about? How many have you already used? Are you willing to use one again that may have worked or maybe didn't work earlier? Those are all factors that go into it. It's not like flipping a coin or rolling a, a die. You, 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 We can say, well, 51% of the time it works. Well, part of the reason it doesn't work, the 49%, is because it's not a good play or their defense is really good in short yardage or you don't have a guy you can put at the back of the end zone and throw it high and he can jump up and try to catch it. You know, so these are all factors that go into the analysis and, and, you know, momentum, time left, how you feel about your two minute plays, those things all factor into it. I I still think if they had a two minute or a two point play, excuse me, if they liked would have been better to go for two when it went from 20 to 6 to 20 to 12, make it 20 to 14, then seven wins it. That's that's what I prefer instead yes. of waiting to make that decision after Agreed. the second touchdown. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I would have gone for it that first one, but I didn't mind that Zach Taylor bypassed it to make it 2020 when they scored to make it 2019. I had no problem with that decision there. But I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen them go for it on the previous touchdown there to cut it to a 14-point game. One more issue as it relates to going for two. When to go for two. The Ravens were down 24 to 15. That's nine points with 8.56 left in the game. So they went for two then, which would have made it a seven-point game if they had gotten it. At some point, they had to go for two. When you're down 15, you got to go for two at some point, obviously, if you hope to tie the game up. John Harbaugh said it was a standard non-decision. You do it at that point in time because you're going to have to get a two-point conversion. And you know, there were folks from the MVC viewing room that were opposed to the idea of doing it. I think Sims was against it. I understand it because if you don't get it, it's better to know that you didn't get it now and have the time to do something about it than to run it all the way to the end. You score a touchdown while down eight, and you've got to get the two-pointer then, and you don't get it then, you have no chance to rectify it. So if I'm going to rectify it, let me rectify it sooner rather than later so I know that I need another possession. If I want to win the game, it's still a two possession game and I'm down nine as opposed to scoring a touchdown late and I don't get my two points then and I don't have a, I don't have a chance to get the ball back. So at least I have a greater sense of urgency. So I, I understand why teams do it then so they know, oh, crap, we got to get two scores over the remaining eight minutes and 56 seconds. I understand the reasoning, too, but I don't like it. I don't like the nine points, let's go for two, because 
I've just scored. I kicked the extra point. Now I'm one score down. And I just think that keeps your team excited. All right, we need all we need is one score. We need one score and a two-point conversion, and we tie this thing up. And as it worked out, they didn't get that chance to tie it up, although they recovered the onside kick and, and still got an opportunity after that. But I'm not a big proponent of, of the nine-point, let's go for two right here. Again, I get the reasoning. That's just not one that I'm on board with. I am on board with... Okay, we're down. What what is it? The fourteen points or the what is it? I fi- I'm lost. Yeah, fifteen 14. points and you down go for 14. two. Whatever. No, down 14. fourteen. Down fourteen. You go for two. I like that one a lot. I understand that because it's a fifty-fifty proposition. You're going to probably get one of the two. You statistically, you should get one of the two. But the nine-point one, I don't like that one. I want to be one score down and and be excited that I need one score and a two-point conversion to 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 tie it tie it. At that point, it all comes Got my down bad. to how, that's that's all right. It's still better <laughs> than mine. It all comes down to how you feel about your two point plays, and also that's it. The point that Mike Tomlin made last week gut. about the Ravens—they're predictable in the fact that they are very committed to the analytics. Yeah. I like a little bit of—I—I I, I don't want to be known as if I'm a coach, the guy who, yeah. if he's down 14 in the fourth quarter, always goes for two when he scores the first touchdown. I want him to be uncertain. I want him to be on their heels a little bit about what we're going to do. And uh, I, I think that, 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 that those factors contribute to a complicated stew of what it ultimately is that you do in any given spot. Let's take a break. When we return, the latest on the Urban Meyer saga in Jacksonville. We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What's the answer? Uh, start leaking information or some nonsense? No. No, that's nonsense. That's garbage. That's, uh, you know, that's once again, I've been very blessed. I've not really dealt with that. I've, I've not dealt with, well, did you hear what he said? What? No. Let's improve on offense and get our quarterback in a position to be successful. That's our focus. What someone's brother said or someone said, someone said, that will, that will occupy very little of my time. And if, if there is a source, that source is unemployed. I mean, within seconds. There isn't a source, Urban. There isn't a source. There are multiple sources. Look, he's so oblivious to what's happening in his own, not just backyard, under his nose, in his building. There has Mm. been a campaign for weeks, for weeks, by people within that team to stir up crap, to air out dirty laundry because they don't like him. He's hired people, and he's inherited some players, but added some players, and they just don't like him. And... You know, we had the conversation last week about whether or not players should like the franchise quarterback. Well, if you should either like him when it comes to the coach or be sufficiently scared of him that you're not going to do something like this, like air out dirty laundry and potentially get caught. I mean, there, there's a almost recklessness to the willingness of people to talk. I mean, look, NFL media, partially owned and operated by the Jacksonville Jaguars, had three items that they pushed on Saturday and, you know, this idea that, well, maybe they're wrong because Urban Meyer's taken issue with it. Bottom line is either Urban's lying or sources are lying 
and NFL media is basing its reports on false information. Either way, it's dysfunctional. Either way, it's not good. The mere fact that this has happened is a horrible, horrible development for the Jaguars. And I think we're losing sight of that part of it. The fact that he's got people that sufficiently don't like him to say these things, the fact that he's quibbling with what is being reported, this is a bad look for the Jaguars. I don't think it's enough to get Shad Khan to do anything, but maybe it should. Maybe it should, but here's the problem, Shireen. If Shad Khan fires Urban Meyer after one year, he will believe that he looks like an idiot for hiring Urban Meyer and wanting Urban Meyer and pursuing Urban Meyer. So dysfunctional teams tend to double down and try to justify their mistake and avoid admitting it as long as they can. And I have a feeling that's what Shad Khan's going to do. You know, there was a lot of excitement in Jacksonville when they hired Urban Meyer and they drafted Trevor Lawrence and you got that uptick in season ticket sales. And we were talking about the Jaguars in the off season and, I get exactly why they hired him. I mean, he had been at Florida and had success in those University of Florida fans or some of the same fans that you're trying to sell season tickets to. But at some point, it becomes about winning and losing that's going to entice people to come to your stadium, to buy your merchandise, to talk about you. And, And all we've been talking about since the season started is the dysfunction in Jacksonville. And he seems a poor manager, a poor leader, and he seems to have alienated everyone in that building, players, coaches, everyone, or or these stories wouldn't be getting out. And whether it's all truth, there's at least some truth to them, and they continue to, to get out, and we continue to hear these things about Urban Meyer. So I don't know at this point what the answer is for the Jaguars, but I don't think he's the coach for the Jaguars. And, Mike, depending on how long you keep him, how much damage do you do to Trevor Lawrence and his growth? No one's going to want to come and be an assistant coach for Urban Meyer. Good luck trying to get some coaches. What free agents are going to want to come to Jacksonville and play for Urban Meyer after hearing all this stuff? This is a franchise that continues to be in disarray, and I'm not sure if it's the worst franchise or the Texans are the worst franchise, but it's one of those two in the AFC South that's the worst franchise in football right now. Yeah, they're in the same division, and they're both not good, and they play one more time this year, and the loser wins higher draft position for next year. So we'll see who is the most dysfunctional. Whoever is the most dysfunctional is going to win that game because that game – means nothing in the short term and a lot more in the long term as it relates to Meyer you hit the nail on the head he's gonna have to if he can't figure out who the sources are what do you do do you fire your entire staff and start over again what do you do something's got to give it's not sustainable what's currently happening in Jacksonville and one of the little quirky dysfunctional aspects of this that came to light for me yesterday as I was trying to figure out where the Jaguars stand on all of this because Urban Meyer spoke to Jake Laser and refuted some of these claims on Sunday. It doesn't mean that Meyer's right. He just said he, he didn't do the things that he's accused of doing, didn't have the incident with Marvin Jones, didn't call his assistant coaches losers. But if you try to get an official comment from the Jaguars, they're under orders to refer all comments to the personal spokesman, the owner of the team, Shad Khan. A guy named Jim Woodcock is the personal spokesman. So, okay, I want to comment on 
these reports about Urban Meyer. Well, we refer you to the owner spokesman. So I asked the owner. He's got no comment. And then I pressed him a little bit yesterday because I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say last night because we got to say something about it. I want to say something that's accurate. I want to say something that moves the ball along, that puts it in better context, that makes it understandable. And he's like, well, I only comment on ownership issues. Well, but they're telling me to contact you. See, this is dysfunction. The the owner doesn't want the team PR, which is run by one of the best PR people in the entire NFL, if not all of sports, and Amy Palchik. Shad Khan doesn't want her speaking for the team, so you refer all inquiries to Jim Woodcock, who won't speak on anything other than ownership matters. Well, who the hell is saying anything in Jacksonville about whether or not this is true, other than the head coach? And the head coach is kind of all over the place. It's just a bad situation. One thing I did get Jim Woodcock to eventually do was he he said, look, there's an article in the Florida Times Union where Shad Khan talks about his 10 years with the team and how he deals with failure, and this is kind of how we roll. And basically his attitude is, hey, anything you do, you're going to fail from time to time. And that's true. You're not living if you're not failing. But, but in the NFL, when you fail, it's much more noticeable. And Shireen, 10 years now for Shad Khan, in the amount of time that he's owned the team and the number of games that he's had as owner, He's got the lowest winning percentage of any owner ever for that number of games. How about 41 and 116, Mike? The only season in his tenure where they were over 500 was 2017, and that seemed like an aberration. That was not the course that this franchise has taken. He's had four head coaches. Guess what? You could have had Eric Bieniemy. You could have had a ton of different guys who would have come in here and you could have groomed Trevor Lawrence, and we'd be saying right now that this this team is on the right course. They figured thing out. Shad Khan finally has the right quarterback, the right coach. We don't know that. We know they don't have the right coach, at least not right now, and we don't even know if they have the right quarterback because it's in such dysfunction and with such a lack of talent. We don't know at this point what Trevor Lawrence is. Yeah, and uh, who knows if and when we're ever going to find out. Let's go ahead and take a break because we got to get you ready for the Monday night game. This is a huge Monday night game. With or without Jalen Ramsey, the Rams and the Cardinals are getting together, and we'll talk about that when PFTPM continues right after this. Arizona Cardinals at 10-2, and two, the best team in the NFL, hosting the Rams tonight. The Cardinals beat the Rams earlier this year. Sean McVay had been 8-0 against Arizona. Now he's 8-1, and one, and they had been blowing out the Cardinals. That's why it was such a surprise when the Cardinals won. This time around, Cardinals favored by three for the home game. Monday Night Football, Cardinals need to stay ahead of the Packers because the Packers hold the head-to-head tiebreaker. The Buccaneers are there at 10-3 and three also. Big game for the Cardinals. And for the Rams, basically, if they have any designs on winning the division, Shireen, this is it tonight. They lose tonight. They're behind three games with four to play. And the tiebreaker, uh, they, 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 it's basically over at that point. The, the division is basically yeah. over if they lose tonight. Yeah, a must win for the Rams. And it's a chance for the Cardinals to Kyler Murray to, to up himself in the MVP race, Cliff Kingsbury to up himself in Coach of the Year race, and the Cardinals to hang on to that number one seed, which is going to be so important in the NFC. But I do think the Cardinals are the best team in football right now. Now, what they do when they get to the postseason with some guys who haven't been there, some key guys who haven't been there like Kyler Murray, who knows? But I think right now with Kyler Murray, with DeAndre Hopkins, this is the best team in football. 
And this is a huge swing game because think of it this way. If the Cardinals win and they do go up three and they have the head-to-head tiebreaker, it's not enough for the Rams to catch them. The Rams have to surpass them, and they only do that if the Rams go 4-0 and the Cardinals go 0-4. And the idea that the Cardinals would go 0-4 down the stretch after starting what would be 11-2, chances are that's not going to happen to the Arizona Cardinals. So this is elimination game for NFC West Championship for the Rams as a practical matter. And, look... We're, we're so focused on the six and seven seeds in the NFC. If the Rams lose a few, they they may be in that scrum for six and seven, Shireen. It may be one of these teams like the 49ers bump themselves into the five seed spot because the 49ers already beat the Rams once. Yeah, and you know what? If you're the Four seed, like, I don't think you want to play the Rams. Like, I, if I'm the Cowboys, I'd much rather play the 49ers or Washington or the Vikings or the Eagles or whoever else is in that mix. I don't want to play the Rams, but you're right. The Rams could back up in this thing, and then they're getting the Packers or the Buccaneers probably uh, in the first round. So this thing's going to be interesting. But I think of all those teams, regardless of how the Rams finish up, the Rams are the team that I wouldn't want to face out of all those teams. Yeah, unless they keep losing. Unless unless they, you know, they, they beat yeah. the Jaguars. Whoop-de-freaking-do. They lost three in a row You're before right. that. We'll see what they can do tonight. But the Cardinals seem to be the much better team, removing Jalen yes. Ramsey from the equation. We talked about that at the top of the show. He's on the COVID reserve list. Happened today. Tyler Higby on COVID reserve as well. That's a factor. Makes it harder for the Rams to win this game. Easier for the Cardinals to get to 11-2. and two. The quietest 11-2 and two that I can ever remember. Yeah. It is. It absolutely is. No one's talking about the Cardinals, and yet you look at both sides of the ball, all the stars they have on this team. I just think they're really good, and and I think they are the best team in the NFL with Kyler Murray, with DeAndre Hopkins, who now are both healthy, and we got to see that last week, and they should be even better this week. I hope, Mike, because I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Gosh, I so hope that this is a repeat of that Rams-Chiefs game from a couple years ago that just was every possession was a score. Oh, I have a feeling it won't be that. I don't know. I don't know that I, I know. can make it through another one of those. But I wish it would. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, we'll see. We'll see. And, and the Cardinals have the Cowboys coming up in a few weeks. What a game that's going to be. They that's do. a Week 17 game, I believe. Next yeah. week it's the Lions yep. for the Cardinals. They've won all seven road games by double digits, and now they're looking at trying to nail down home field advantage. And if anything, I don't know the way they've played on the road. They're a little more vulnerable at home than they are if they take the show on the road. So we'll see what they do tonight at home against the Rams. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Eastern for BFT Live. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.